Welcome to Off the Bench with Danny Cannell. Danny Cannell. Back to throw versus Danny. Beat this tight end. And Raja Bell. Bell has done three Twenty-two to Raja. Saw the future of football right before your eyes. Just yell it out, man. He can't guard me. All right. Welcome to Cannell and Bell hanging out in the podcast lounge. We're keeping it casual. Yeah. I like this look. I'm like, yesterday I had the feet kicked up. I didn't know if that looked too good. Going legs crossed today. Casual is harder than I thought. Trying <laughs> right. to figure out exactly how I want to sit here is becoming like a, a source of like consternation for me. Like it's it's tough because you can't figure out whether you go like regular cross, right? Right? You go like high, like we're figuring it out though. We're yeah, on our I mean, way. You went feet up yesterday. Yeah, like, I don't know that we can. Maybe at go. some point today, I'll yeah. kick the feet up right. here and we'll get a little bit more relaxed. But things are starting to crank up. Have you noticed? It is Wednesday. And I'm telling you, I don't know if you can notice. It's a little busier. There's a little more energy. A little there's more a little more vibe. Yeah. And then Friday, it'll be off the charts. Like, yeah. there'll be way more entourages coming through here. But I love it. It's starting to get better and better. The guests are getting better. We're going to have Bill Cower. He's going to sit down with us, be help break down the Super Bowl, see what kind of advice he would give to Sean McVay. Bill Belichick obviously doesn't need any. So we're going to talk to him, talk a little bit more about the Anthony Davis fine and what they're doing, possibly a Lakers trade. They call in that the a fine. Yeah, there's <laughs> a little slap on the wrist you, to to, uh, to put it in perspective. Um, but I want to start about something with with a topic that I saw made some waves yesterday. My old teammate, yeah, former Miami Hurricane, Clinton Portis, was on with Christine Leahy at FS1 doing a show, and he talked and he's talked about this before. And every time he says this, people get like all up in arms. Like I can't believe he did this. He talked about him and a couple guys in the Redskins when he was on the Redskins. They would take shots of Hennessy. Before they would take the field. And everybody always gets so worked up. They're like, I can't believe they're playing drunk or they're playing with alcohol in their system. And I'm always like, what's the big deal? It's not like he was drunk. <laughs> right, he's, right. And he clarified it. His quotes were pretty funny. Clint's a great dude. Like he's one of the most honest, forthright dudes out there. He'll tell you exactly like it is. His quote was, it was a turn up. For me, it wasn't like I was getting drunk. We took one shot. For me, it was kind of like this shot. And I'm, I'm going to take this shot. I'm going to go out to play. Like, this is going to take the pain away or the fear or whatever it was. Like, now it's time. They kind of used it as their kind of pregame ritual. Do you see any issue with this? Um, or did you ever see this in the NBA? I didn't see this in the NBA. There were a lot of guys in the NBA, especially earlier in my career, that would smoke, like, you know, cigarettes and stuff like that. Or oh, other things. <laughs> right. Guys that would smoke in the locker room sometimes. Like, really? Yeah, like, uh, I did see that. Never the shots before the game. But... Like, ultimately, if you're not going out there drunk and you're just using it as, like, something to take the edge off real quick, and I'm okay with that because don't football players, isn't, like, a normal thing for them to get shot? Well, that's, like, and he made of? that point. He said, I never got tore at all. Right. Because there used to be a line of guys that would line up, and it was like they'd bend over, and and wow. it was like 15 dudes. They'd always be offensive linemen, anybody. They'd go get the shot. It was kind of a painkiller. But it was it was more like, see, I used to take four Advil. Because right. I knew I was probably going to have a headache from getting hit in the head, so I take four Advil. Like, what's the difference? Like, right, right, right. It probably took the edge off. Same thing. Like, I felt better, and I'm sure that's what he yeah, felt when he was taking I, that. I don't have a huge problem with it. No, uh, I thought it like. You, a, did you ever play? Well, probably be harder in the NFL. But there were over? a lot of times where, like, I thought I was going to be able to shake that the head over <laughs> off, and yeah. he's rolled out there, and you were still kind of. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. I'm playing hurt today a little bit. <laughs> today I might be feeling that way. Right. But occasionally, guys. See the thing is the NFL because it's only one game a week. Yeah. They keep you on a tight leash. Like you are there's a schedule, you're 
curfew and they check it like you're in your room at 11. Right. Now, that's not to say some dudes on the road, they might sneak out, go have a few and they're back. I don't think dudes, I never saw guys sneak out. There might have guys a little bit hurting, but like when I was on the Broncos, Mike Shannon at the team dinner used to have a, a can of uh, like a big cooler yep. and it had beers on it. Of course. So I'd grab a beer or two yeah. at dinner, just kind of take the edge off. You know, if you're like, and I thought, you know, Brian Billick, I talked to him who was, you know, head coach of the Rams, won the Super Bowl. He's like, he never had curfew because he's like, these are grown men. Right. You know, he's like, they're professionals. You should treat them as such. That being said, there were always a couple knuckleheads on every team that sure. kind of were younger. They were new to it and they still wanted to have a good time. And you kind of had to police them a little bit. But that was when you had to count on your veterans who would bring them in and say, look, you can, you can have all the fun you want on Monday or Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, like Sunday night after the game. Monday night was a big night to go out. And then just dial it back a little bit. Thursday night, you go out some. It's kind of a good night to go out. Friday, maybe a little bit, but dial it back so that you're ready to go on game day or else it's going to hurt the team. And that's really what you have to have that dynamic in the NFL is yeah. have that leadership on it's, the team. It's probably a lot harder with that many people. Like with, with an NBA team, like you just make sure you take the young bucks with you. Like, and then you can kind of police, you know, how hard they're going and how late you guys are out and stuff like that. One of my favorite things in the NBA to do was like when we were on long road trips, was, you know, get ball boys. You know, you throw them like 20 bucks and you have them go out and get you like a 12 pack or yeah. something like that. Have it right there have after it the right game. Have it right there, have it iced down and you take it on the bus with you. Like those are the things that I miss about the NBA, right? Bus rides, team flights where everybody's, you know, cracking open a, a beer or something like that. You know, bottles of wine on the plane. They've since kind of stopped that. Like once, you know, obviously when you're All going home and you have to drive and stuff like that, it, it, you don't want to do it. But when you're on the road and you're just getting on another bus, Stuff like that. We used to have a good time, man. Those were the, oh, those, those, are the, the those, oh, those are the <laughs> memories you miss of yeah. the road trips back after games, even win or lose. Like you'd be bummed, but oh, yeah. you could shake it off pretty quick if you had a couple. Right. Some and it was the same same story. Some teams I played for would actually have alcohol on the plane. Yeah, but then like all it takes is one DUI because a team offered it. But then it didn't change anything. Like dudes were still smuggling in bottles. You oh know, yeah, we whatever. brought our own. <laughs> yeah. But it did shut down like towards my last three years in the NBA when I went back to Utah. Uh, they used to provide it, like, you know, Phoenix and every, you know, because the coaches and, and staff, everybody, you know, yeah. has a glass of wine here and there. But then it's it like, shut think down. about what like, people do. Why is happy hour a thing? People get off work, they want to go have a couple a drinks. Steam, you know, like, it's the same thing on a plane. You just got off work, yeah. you want to blow off a little bit of steam. Those were the Speaking good of blowing off they steam. a poker game tonight. They have, like we're looking for things to do, right? Yeah. Like it was one of my favorite things to do in the NBA, right? You had a poker or a card game. Let's go. Around. Let's make it happen. Let's do it. Uh, so speaking of, we're here in Atlanta. Like, what'd you do yesterday after the show? Debo wanted to know. Man. Let's uh, get it down. Let's, let's get see. it. Let's see. Well, I left here. Yeah. And I went back to my room. Uh, I put my sweatpants on and like my, <laughs> my hoodie sweatshirt. Yeah. And I, you know, I put it in neutral, watched the Netflix, fell asleep. Yep. Woke up looking for something to do. Ordered a pizza, went right back to sleep. <laughs> <laughs> that was it? No workout? A workout Not even a workout? My I, wife was kind of pissed. She was like, you didn't even go down to the gym and you got all that. I was like, hey, let me live, all right? This is I got into it. I, I did about the same. I had to do my radio show after. And then I went back to the room. I was going to take a nap and then work out. Right. Didn't. Nah. And then I had a dinner with, uh, with Sirius because I was with the crew from my radio show. So we went out. And I told you before, like, I just had too much last night. And yeah, I didn't even no, have to, it wasn't even a good reason. Look, like, I, I need a good reason to drink. It was just hanging out with some dudes from the show. We just, and this next thing you knew, I'm like, man, this hit me quick. Like, I hope my <laughs> friends aren't watching because I got like five boys that live here in Atlanta. Oh, I haven't even really? told them I'm in town. There's just, your poker like, game. I, I need a couple, I need a couple moments to myself. You know, right. you got four kids. You got kids, you know. You <laughs> right. Need, you need a day. All right. Let's talk a little bit about Super Bowl. We are here for the Super Bowl. Uh, Sean McVay, one of the biggest stories that's been going on at this game 
is Todd Gurley. Right. Where has he been? What's his issue been going on? He didn't get many touches in the NFC Championship game. He did have over 100 yards rushing against Dallas in their uh, in their game at home. But a lot of people are wondering, is he healthy? Is he reliable? C.J. Anderson has burst on the scene, which has been a great thing for the Rams to have some depth to have that option in case Gurley gets hurt. There was a little bit of spe- speculation, and Pete Prisco mentioned that when in Mobile, and Mobile is like, uh, when they're there for the Senior Bowl, it's like a bunch of, I don't want to say anything, but like a lot of coaches get around, they chat, and yeah. they get chatty, yeah, yeah, and they yeah, trade yeah, yeah, rumors, yeah, yeah. Okay. and they have their theories and stuff. And there was a lot of speculation at the Senior Bowl, according to Pete Prisco, that Todd Gurley kind of folded in the big moment, huh. that he didn't show up in New Orleans because, for whatever reason, he just... He kind of shied away from that big spotlight. I think that's crazy. The dude has played enough. He was an MVP candidate two years ago. I don't think that's the case at all. I think more than more likely scenario is he's probably still a little bit banged up. Even though he went over 100 yards against Dallas, he's probably still milking something. Maybe it affected him. They were traveling. Maybe they're cross country. Maybe it tightened up on him. So I don't. I don't think it's a big deal at all. Well, I don't. I really can't speculate on whether he's hurt or not. But here's what I'll say about. Like Sean McVay and his, what appears to be his management style, and dealing with the player in his first big moment and maybe not living up to it. The way Sean McVay handles his team, he doesn't seem to be the type of guy that would punish you by absolutely sitting you in that moment. Because that could be that could be like that, that could irreparably damage a player's confidence. You know yeah. what I mean? If you did that, so I don't believe Sean McVay to have looked over there and said, "Man, Todd Gurley's not getting it done. Uh, he'll never get it done. I'm going completely with with Anderson." I don't think it was that. I think. You know, sometimes in, in the flow of a game, you can kind of lose your footing as a coach, lose your footing on what, what play calls you called for Danny or for Raja or for, you know what I mean? That happens even to the best coaches, uh, especially in bigger games. I think he probably lost control to some degree of his offense and how many plays were called, but it was definitely interesting to see him standing over there like that. But I don't think it's him not being able to perform in the moment. I don't think so. I don't think it has anything to do with it. I, one of the things I really appreciated from both aspects, Todd Gurley, Owned up to it Real after pro. the game. He was like, I was sorry. Like yeah. that was his, his quote was, I was sorry in that game. I have to do better. You know what Sean McVay said? He took ownership. He said, I have to do a better job of counting his carries, making sure he gets the touches that we need to get. So they both took ownership of it. So I don't think there's any issue at all other than they better make sure he gets the ball more. Cause as much as I like CJ Anderson, he's not the MVP he's, candidate he's that you have run. in Todd Gurley. He's not the home run threat. Exactly. Right. Cause uh, in the NFC Championship game in New Orleans, he only had, uh, Todd Gurley had four rushing attempts for 10 yards and one reception for three yards. And he is a great guy for Jared Goff to get some screens to. You get him in, you know, one-on-one situation for a linebacker. You can throw it to him. I think he'll have a big game in this game against the Patriots. Yeah. Look, it, here's the, it's like, like, let me draw a parallel with basketball, right? Like, let's say you have, me on your team, right? And then you have James Harden on your team, right? Um, if I come out cold and I don't hit my first three or four shots, you don't have to keep feeding me the ball because there's no potential for me to go off for 56 points, right? But if you got James Harden and he misses his first three or four shots and he doesn't look good early, you better keep getting him shots because he could light it up and wind up with 60. Todd Gurley is the James Harden in this equation, right? Like, yeah. so if he's not producing early, you never really know when he's going to have that one moment and it's off to the races and now you've got him rolling. So, you certainly want to make sure that even if he's not producing early, you continue to have him in your game plan, continue to explore uh, him as an option because you never know when it's going to break. So C.J. Anderson was here yesterday, did some stuff for uh, HQ, also was making the rounds here at media. Day. Everybody yeah. was kind of surprised, like, hey, he's playing in the Super Bowl, and it's tiring to do media. Like, you're, you're putting a lot of energy. 
I thought he was here to make money. He was actually promoting his foundation, oh, awesome. which does some unbelievable things. He said he wants to build like a 60,000 square foot facility where he can teach youth, you know, uh, job opportunities, teach them different walks of life so they can be, you know, get into coding and all this like unbelievable stuff. So I really appreciated that. But what's kind of funny though is when anytime anybody talks to Z.J. Anderson, like it's funny in life, you don't make fun of people's weight, like at least to their face. Right. He gets criticized more for being overweight and it's just like okay because he's an NFL player and he's like he's been he actually had a great quote. He's like anybody wants to talk about my weight, he's like why don't they meet me in the hole one time and try to tackle me. He's like it's working Both. out just fine for me. Right. But it was kind of funny and he laughs about it, but I really appreciated just talking to him for a few minutes yesterday. His attitude, man. He's been around the block in the last 3 years. He's played for the Panthers, got cut. It started with the Broncos, got cut. Then went to the Panthers, got cut. Went to the Raiders for like six days, got cut. And then the Rams go there. And having personally been in a situation like that where you bounce around a lot, I never got an opportunity like he did. Right. But I can only imagine how grateful he is to be in this position, playing oh. another Super Bowl. It's his third Super Bowl. But when you lose it and it looks like it's gone, to get it back is the most rewarding feeling in the world. Yeah, I, I don't have anything to really compare it to. Like, uh, when I lost it, I kind of just lost it. Right. But coming into the NBA, I had a similar road where, like, I you know, I try out, it didn't work here. I try out, it didn't work there. I try out here, it didn't work there. And then finally, you get an opportunity with someone where you fit the niche that they need, right? Like, you're not maybe the best player available, but you fit exactly what they're looking for, um, and you're able to have some success. And there is there are very few feelings that are better than that. Like finding the home and someone really appreciating what, what you do for them um, after everyone else has told you no, really cool. So we're here at the Super Bowl, and a unique situation has cropped up, and it usually happens every Super Bowl. Yeah. Because, and it's kind of lame. It's just what the NFL does, though. When there are head coaching positions that open up, what do they do? They look at the good teams in the NFL, and they say, let's hire one of their coordinators. So that's what you have now. Because you have Brian Flores, who's the defensive coordinator for the Patriots, mm-hmm. or the linebackers coach for the Patriots. He's taking the job with the Dolphins. And then you have Zach Taylor, who's the quarterback coach for the Rams. He's expected to be the Bengals' next head coach. You didn't really have this situation, did you, in the NBA? Like, it no. just, it's for some, for whatever reason, it doesn't happen that way. I don't, like, look, if you're good enough as an assistant, uh, you'll eventually get a head job, but they generally don't grab you before your season's over. Like that, I don't know that I've ever played on a team or can remember a guy playing in the finals who was already destined to go coach another team. I'm sure it's happened, but not, not to the magnitude that it happens in the NFL. But you know, I feel like the NFL has like this need, this copycat thing. Like the NBA has it too, but not to the degree. So if you find guys in the NFL and they've had success with a system. And you want to bring that system in? Uh, I think there's way more of that. Like trying to, like you might identify a guy, but more so you've identified the system that he's coming from, and you want to bring that kind of culture to you. The only thing I would liken it to is like Pop has a really good coaching tree. Mm-hmm. Guys want to kind of bring that San Antonio vibe and the culture that they have there. Uh, that would be the only thing in the NBA that, that kind of sticks out. I I worry about the teams that are looking for the Sean McVay, the next one. Like Zach Taylor, I'm sure he's a good dude, quarterback coach, but I don't know if he's a good play caller. Like I, he hasn't done it. Right. Like it's been Sean McVay is the guy calling the plays, and you're not getting him. You're going to get his system. He's going to try to implement that, but I don't know how he's going to be on game day. That's what separates the best coaches. Same thing with Brian Flores. Like he might be a good coach, and he's going to try to implement a lot of the schemes and a lot of the mentality that uh, Coach Belichick does. But I don't know if that's going to make him a well, great coach. Like you bet, and I'm assuming these guys nailed their interviews and they're great dudes and all that. 
But I just know in the NFL the way it works, it's such a copycat league, and you think the owners are impressive with the way they hire. And in reality, sometimes they're just like copying another team's success. And the flip side of that is like, what are you going to do, though? You're going to go out and, right. and just retread somebody that you know is a 500 coach and, and he's going to have you looking for another one in three years. So sometimes, like, you got to have a leap of faith. You have to trust that your, you know, your eyes and, and, and the interview has told you what, what you want to know about him as a person and what he wants to do. And then whether or not he can achieve that, you know, that, that remains to be seen. But you're, you're looking for a change from the norm, which is a recycled coach that's going to have you sit at 500. All right, welcome back. Ken Ellen Bell hanging out here at Atlanta World Congress Center. Raja and I have been talking a lot about the Super Bowl. We're speculating. Neither one of us ever played in it. So why not get a Super Bowl winning coach in here? Bill Cower, welcome to the show. Thanks for joining us. Good to be here, guys. Yeah, so this matchup as a whole for the Rams versus Patriots, it has so many interesting dynamics to it because you've got the age disparity in coaches, quarterbacks. You know, you've got the the dynasty versus the new up-and-comers. What intrigues you most about this game? Now, to me, it's it's the chess match. I mean, I think you look at the the four elements to this. Is number one, it's Sean McVay, the offensive genius who came there, going against the defensive genius of Bill Belichick, right? But even on the other side of the ball, Wade Phillips, what he's brought, been a head coach before. Josh McDaniel, what he does with that offense, been a head coach before. So you actually have four head coaches going in this game pitting against each other, the offense and defense. So the chess match in this game, to me, is what I'm looking at because I think for both these teams, their ability to adjust in-game has been on the top of the mark. I mean, that, that's that's why they are here because they've been able to adapt and, uh, and, and adjust in the course of a game. And I think in this game, it's going to be kind of like jabbing early and seeing what the other team is going to do and making a necessary adjustment. So I kind of watching the chess match, to me, is going to be the most intriguing element of this. Yeah, that, there seemed like a lot of parity across the board with offenses and defenses there. But where, where New England should have an advantage is in the experience of the week itself. Can yeah. you talk to me about, like, handling your team coming into the Super Bowl week and, and all of the challenges that, like, the media days and stuff present? And it is. And, you know, I, when I came my first Super Bowl, I was 38 years old at the time, and I was the youngest head coach that could be in a Super Bowl. And I felt, you know, it was my fourth year, so, you know, we had, we'd won a lot the first three years. In our fourth year, we got here, and, you know, it was like, okay, we expected to be here. And um, first part of the week was we dealt with all the media and obligations. The family came in. Let's move to another hotel on Saturday, um, make this as normal as possible. But then all of a sudden, when Sunday came and you woke up, you realized the enormity of the game and how big this game is, what this platform is. And... You know, for me, it was just like, wow. You're sitting there, and I started thinking about it. Went on the field before, and the OJs were playing on the speaker there. And I'm thinking, wow, this little kid from Crafton, Pennsylvania, now is playing in the Super Bowl. And I started to reflect, like, oh, stop, stop, stop. It's not, <laughs> we're not even playing this game yet. Quit doing that. But it does it does take on a magnitude that it's hard to put into words unless you've been there before. I was fortunate enough to go back 10 years later, and that experience in itself really helped a lot. And I just remember the second time after having lost the Super Bowl, uh, the mantra from that time we got into Detroit was, you know, as the week went on, you let the players do their thing, but as Thursday, Friday, and then Saturday come on, you start to pull everybody back in, putting a couple new elements of defense in late in the week to get them back focused on the game because I think it can get stale if you put too much in too early. So we, we save some things later to get them back onto the game. And the last thing I said was just remember one thing. Um, you know, as we start on Wednesday, never remember who loses the Super Bowl. You know, always remember who win it. You'll be a place in history. 
no one ever remembers who loses one. So having said that, enjoy the week, but understand the sacrifices you may need to make. And no is not always a bad answer. So do you embrace the enormity of the game and the message of the players? Do you embrace the enormity or do you try to treat it, hey, this is just another game? Well, I, I, I think the enormity is something that you can reflect on on Monday, um, you know, when the game's over. Um, and make sure that you did everything you could to make sure that you have your place in history. And, and you'll experience it and it'll be different, but you're still here. You're, if you don't, if you lose this game, you're one of 31 teams. You really are. There's only one champion. So, um, I, I think you embrace it early. Um, but as the week goes on, the focus has to be a lot greater because now there's a lot more people coming into town. The families are coming into town. So now it's got to be like a little bit more, you know, let, let's, let's, let's pull this back in. Let's rein it back in to understand what we need to do come Sunday. And I thought, you know, Friday's practice, let's keep it as normal as possible. Saturday night, we went to another hotel. It's just us, just like we always did in the away game. And then Sunday morning, we had our meetings on Sunday morning. So, you know, again, you'll know when you go out there, you're going to feel the buzz. It's going to be in an arena. The buzz is even greater. The noise is greater. You can just you see it on the sidelines. You can't move anywhere. So you realize how big the magnitude of this game is. But hopefully by that time, you've kind of been there. Um, you understand what you have to do. And I think for the Rams, um, you know, it's going to be that early flurry that early emotion that they can just keep that reined in, overcome that, um, then it becomes more of a football game, really from the second or third series on. Uh, so you, you, your teams obviously went up against Brady and Belichick in the infancy of this kind of dynasty, if you right. will. Like, could you have foreseen that it was going to ha- have this type of uh, this type of length to it? And, and and just talk about watching it now and, and seeing how fruitful it's been. Well, I think Bill has done a really, really good job. And you think about what he's done in this free agent era. Um, the consistency and to be, you know, how many Super Bowls in a row now and three in a row and this is ninth one and um, uh, it, it's pretty amazing really and I think what he does is he's not afraid to make tough decisions and I think he's always tweaking uh, his the players on the team he's tweaking his coaching staff you know he tweaks his systems I mean this is a guy that's gone from a 34 defense back to a 43 defense this is a guy that goes from a wide open, open spread offense to all of a sudden now James Devlin's a big part of it as a fullback and, and Gronk is now blocking more than he's catching and all of a sudden we go now from Sonny Michelle to James White to Rex Burkhead in the fourth quarter so I mean the thing I love about him is that and if you prepare for a New England team whatever you've seen just keep an open mind to the fact that you may have to make some in-house adjustments because what you've prepared for all week may not be what you're going to get on Sunday. And so understand that going in. So don't be perplexed by something that you see. Don't overreact to it. Just be able to respond to it. We will adjust to it. And as a coaching staff, have enough flexibility with what you're doing that you can make those necessary adjustments. One of the biggest topics of conversation the last 10 days has been the non-call at the end of the Saints-Rams game. I think it's gone way over the top, but I'm worried that the NFL is going to react and instill some sort of new review policy. What would you want to see happen so that you don't see this happen again? Or is it just part of the human error that you're okay with? I'm okay with it. Honestly, I I, I played a game um, in the playoffs against the Tennessee Titans, and we were into overtime. And they came down, and Joe Nedney missed a field goal. But they called roughing the kicker. Bad call. After the game, they all of a sudden roughing the kicker. They move the 10 yards earlier. He makes the next kick. We walk off the field. We lose the game. 
I was very upset at the time. I said something to the official and went back in. Joe Nedney on his post-game press conference says that it was one of the best acting jobs he's ever done. <laughs> Admitted that, okay, kind of, and, and just like Roby Coleman said the same thing, you know, you know, and, but my point was, you know what, it never got to that point. You know, we should, it never came down to that one kick. We had opportunities to get off the field before that on third down, and we should have taken advantage of. That particular game we're talking about with the Rams and the Saints, um, they kicked a field goal. They got a three-point lead. Hold them. Respond. Don't overreact. Respond. You had a chance to win the game in overtime. Did it influence the game? Yes. Impact the game? Yes. Did it cost them the game? No. Human error is always going to be a part of it. I'm, don't, don't take replay to where now we're judging intent. When you start judging intent, I think you're going down a slippery road. And I think you talk about pass interference. Now you're judging intent. So let me ask you, I mean, because by most accounts, you're a defensive-minded coach. Like, I was a defensive-minded player when I played in the NBA, and I've watched rule changes uh, be put in, in in place to affect scoring, right? Yes. And, uh, it affects the – you know, I, I don't love it. I want to ask you just about the way the game's being ref now, the, the mandate to uh, protect – quarterbacks and, and receivers and, and what it's done to defensive teams. Well, it, it's no question harder to play defense this day, and I think there's no question a lot of the rules are done to promote offense. Um, but you know what? And a lot of it was promoted to, to promote safety. I mean, we don't want to hurt, hurt the quarterbacks without question or the, or the uh, faces of teams, um, and you want to keep them alive because they, they are entertaining, the right. good ones. And so I understand it. The games, the safety of the game is, is imperative, I think, because you also want mothers to feel good about their kids playing football. I understand that element of it, too. So, um, But, you know, the rule changes. Um, one thing we always knew when I was coaching, I think you've seen it playing out here, when you got in the playoffs, let them play. You don't want the game to be decided by a call that a guy's making about a hand check. And I used to always say, and I used to say to, as a defensive coach, I said, find out from the officials when they call them the hand checks. You know, playing basketball. Also, you put your hand on, they're calling, oh, so this is how it's going to be today. So I want to know what I can get away with. And I said, I would talk to the back judge, talk to these guys. What are you, can we get handsy today? Right. Because it works both ways. Or what are you going to call and what are you not going to call? And I think it's the onus goes on the defensive side. And I've always referred basketball, and I've done this before because I've coached secondary. What are they calling? How close are they calling it? And if you're going to get a pass interference, then adjust your game appropriately because all of a sudden, if this guy's going to start calling the little things, you know what? Don't just complain about it. Adjust to it. Raza and I both have young kids, and we're always talking about, like, trying to come up with ideas of how do we motivate them, how do we raise them. And we're both kind of old school. And I wonder, like, today's athlete in the NFL, and you're pretty much like a generation removed from the game. So it's changed a lot, but I think it's harder than ever to have an old-school mentality, like to be hard on them, to coach them. Like, they want to know the why. They might give you a little bit more pushback. There's social media where they go take their voice to social media. How challenging do you think it is now to be a head coach in the NFL with the different personalities that are involved? You know, I sat down there, and I go way back with Bill Belichick, back to knowing each other from... You know, actually, 1989. Um, we go back when we we're both coordinators in the Giants, me with with the Chiefs, and you know we've gone against each other when he was with the Browns. So we've been adversaries. Now we're back to, to talking. And I, you know what? I, I, I would disagree by saying this. I think great players. You know what they want? They want structure. They want structure within the, where you go to work. They want direction. Give us, give us a plan. Tell us how to. Tell us what we should do. And they want accountability. You know what? They want people to be held accountable. And I think if you go in there and a head coach, I think I don't care what age you're is. You give a young kid structure, you give him direction, 
and let them learn about accountability. That you know what, I'm accountable for my actions. I'm gonna be. I'm gonna hold you to that accountability. Now, what my expectations are for you may vary based on your skill set, based on what I've seen from you before. I'm not gonna ask you to do something you can't do, but if I know what you can do, I'm gonna push you. I'm gonna make you uncomfortable. And as a coach, just understand, get comfortable being uncomfortable. And if you can understand it, I'm gonna make you uncomfortable. Because, you know, my job is to get the best out of you. And so, you know what, and if you're comfortable, you're not, you haven't reached that yet. So, you know what, so if you understand that, get comfortable, because my job is to make you uncomfortable. I'm going to appreciate you, but you know what, I'm going to get the very best out of you. Yeah, Fantastic. That, Love that, it. That's really awesome. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, there. I'm taking notes right now. You can get that and more. Super Bowl today, 2-6 to six on CBS, Super Bowl Sunday. Make sure you check out Coach Coward. Yeah. Appreciate the time. Thanks, guys. Yeah. Thank you. All right, welcome back. Canel and Bell hanging out in Atlanta, Super Bowl week. Bill Cowher was awesome. That was fantastic. That was I great. I really did have goosebumps. Like, um, I was like, when he got fired up about the coaching. We're like, both was, coaching. Yeah. I think, see, I think sometimes I coddle the kids. Like, I, I coach the fifth and fifth through eighth grade girls basketball. Sometimes I'm like, oh, you know, I, I let them dictate the practice. Yeah. And he's like, no, players need direction. They need accountability. It's never changed. Players need that, and I agree. Listen, they can I, baby them too much. I don't baby mine like not. I don't. <laughs> not I really like don't. I do. But I know. But I feel like I may be over the top on the other end of the spectrum. But I, I've always said this to my like my parents and the kids in my program is like I'm trying to prepare them for high school. So whatever high school coach gets them, they're getting someone that's already like you know acclimated to 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 uh, competitive sports, and they don't have to be taught the basics of how to you know, take constructive criticism and how to adhere to like a system and how to sacrifice for the betterment of the team. And sometimes, honestly, I wonder because kids buck that they don't want it. And I wonder, like I do a little self-talk, like, am I doing the right thing? And then you hear that and you're like, okay, cool. Right. Let's keep it moving. It'll serve them better in the long run if you're a little bit harder on them. So uh, good stuff there from Bill Cowher. Make sure you check him out. Super Bowl Sunday on CBS. Michael Jordan has been talked about this week. I got a hot take for you in a couple minutes, but first, Tom Brady always talks about the chip on his shoulder. Sure. Always says, I was a six-round draft pick. Nobody believed in me. I had to prove it wrong. Then he wins a couple Super Bowls. He's like, yeah, they said we cheated. Uses that chip on his shoulder. Then recently it's been, I'm too old. Everybody thinks I'm done. Uses that. The chip just keeps growing and growing and growing. Obviously, he uses that as motivation. Michael Jordan, similar style of motivation, self-motivation, was he was always saying, I got cut from my high school basketball team. Who has the bigger chip Tom on their Brady. shoulder? I think so, too. Tom Brady's got a bigger chip. Uh, look, MJ, yeah, they cut you from your middle school. <laughs> right. That was a was long Was it middle school or, or, or varsity? Whatever it was. <laughs> yeah, you right. got cut. But it was a long time ago. Ever since he's been like at North Carolina. Uh, yeah, I mean, he hit a game-winning star. shot as freshman Correct. year to win he the national team, championship. Team USA. Like, he was, I, I mean, he wasn't the first pick in the draft, but he had Air Jordans in his rookie year, like, the jury was out on MJ back then, and then he, yeah, Tom Brady, much bigger chip on his shoulder. But to your point, and we talk about this a lot on the show, you know, I'm sure MJ found things to keep him motivated. Um, you know, every great finds a reason to do what they do and to continue to, to strive to top what they've already done. I just think Tom Brady has more valid reasons for doing it than MJ did. Yeah, for sure. When you look at these two athletes, because I think the conversation needs to be had. Is this, you your think, is this, this is your hot take? This is the hot take. I think Tom Don't Brady do Don't do it. is one of the greatest athletes 
of the last 30 years. Oh, that's a dumb. Yeah, yeah. But is I think he could be better than Michael Jordan. No, 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 no. no. <laughs> right. no well, here's no, the no, thing. No, no. Here's why it doesn't get taken seriously. Okay. Because the way Brady does it, it, it's not a jump from the foul line. It's not dunking the over flare. somebody. The it doesn't have the flair. It doesn't yeah. look athletic. But when you consider the success he's had, the longevity, like if he gets a six Super Bowl win, he's got the same amount of championships. He would have more Super Bowl appearances than MJ would. Like you start looking at career accomplishments, I think he should be considered as greater than Michael Jordan. Yeah, that's ridiculous. Um. <laughs> and look, I'm MJ. I right, had his poster right, no, in my listen, room. But why doesn't I, no, he get considered I'm, I'm that way? That he should be in the conversation. I'm not ready to say that he's greater. First of all, how many years has Tom Brady played? Like, I don't, I didn't. 18. This. 18. How many did Mike play? Not 18. Not 18. <laughs> so, like, the six versus six, uh, you kind of got to, you know, calibrate that a little bit. You got to scale it. Uh, but I am willing to put him in the conversation. And I, I I'm a Mike fan forever and ever and Me ever. Me too. So, like, I'm going to dismiss it because I think it's funny, but he is in that conversation. What he's been able to do, um, over the course of a career and have the success that he's had there, uh, it is on the level of Michael Jordan. They're in the conversation together. Uh, I still go Mike just because I revered Mike and I was younger when it happened. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. And I hate the Patriots. <laughs> right. Like I, like, I just do because everybody loves them and I, I, I like to see other people win. I respect what they do, like, immensely, but I still hate them. I, trust me, I worship Michael Jordan. Like, I watched the documentary Fly Like, what was it? Fly with me? Come fly, fly with me. me. Yeah. I watched that on loop in high school. Yeah, no like just to watch the stories about him growing up and what he went through and what he got to that one. I think he's the greatest. Like Tiger Woods, Michael Jordan, but Tom Brady is absolutely in there just because it doesn't look the same. And to your point, uh, Jordan played 15 seasons. 15, okay. But like the fact that Brady has done it this long, I think adds to the legacy. I think that's why he should be taken more seriously and should look at it a little bit differently. Yeah. I, I, Look again. You can make you can make the argument, and I and I could sit there and you'd have facts to substantiate it, and I would be willing to put him in the conversation with it. You know, Mike took the hiatus from basketball, went to play baseball. If he doesn't do that, you're probably talking about you know eight, the eight in a row. You know what I mean? Like right. you're talking about a number that that. But now, if we were fifth, we'd all be drunk, right? If ifs were fifth, we'd all be drunk. Right? It didn't happen. Right. So Tom is in the conversation, and I wouldn't look any New England fan of this generation that told me. Tom Brady was the greatest of all time, better athlete than MJ. I couldn't argue with you that he's the one you grew up with. Like, he's the one that's winning championships for your team. Mike was that guy for me, so I can't put Tommy Brady in front of him. <laughs> all right, I'm putting him in there already, all right. though. Uh, all right, as we have every show this week, we're going to finish it off with some prop bets. Some a little more serious, some not. Super Bowl prop, the first Doritos commercial. Ooh. The Ooh. color of the Doritos bag. So you're thinking classic red, Cool Ranch blue, but then they got some of the funkier ones. Yeah, like, like the spicy nacho. Yeah, like yeah. The, the Blaze, the Blazing the Hot blaze. ones. Ooh, wait, so the favorite in the clubhouse is a classic red at minus right. 175. Do you think there's any value in Cool Ranch blue or any of those other ones? They might be promoting a new color. I think there's value in the purple. Um, and I also think there's value in other. I don't know about the yellow, but I think purple or other. I don't know that they'd go rel- blue. Yeah, they, the could, only, they could go blue and red together. Yeah. I would go, I think there's a lot of value in other. What if they're breaking out a new flavor? No, that's what I'm saying. And like they want to roll it out yeah. on Super Bowl other Sunday. Other could be like, a good bet. Other could be a going right there. All right, how about this one? Whose age will be closer to the total points scored? Uh, 
Belichick, who's 66, or Sean McVay, who's 33. Ooh. Belichick is minus 400 Ooh. on this one. Yeah, I'll probably go with Belichick. What do you see it in the 45, 50 range? What do you think? 50s? Yeah, because I think the over-under is set at 58 and a half. Yeah. So it's I think it's a no-brainer to go with the minus 400 and take the Belichick at the uh, 66 years old. All right, who gets shown first during the National Anthem? That's a good one. Belichick or McVay? That's a good one. Do you one. go with the classic dynasty, the GOAT, or do you go with the new hot young you guy? I go with classic dynasty. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. My favorite one is length of the National Anthem. Who's singing it this year? Gladys Knight. It's going to have some... That's gonna now, have some I, think she's it, I think she's like... She's a diva, right? Yeah. And deservedly so. I'm not knocking her for doing it. But don't you think she would want to draw it out no, and like really embrace the moment? Yeah. I don't, I think she's going to be classy with it. I don't think it'll be over the top, but I think that there will be some, uh, uh, um, some length to that. Yeah. yeah. I think get the gonna, pipes. The pipes are roll out. it out. Yeah. All right. Wednesday, we wrapped up. Tomorrow, the guest list gets even bigger. Yeah. Monster superstars oh. coming by here. I think there's a rumor Matt Ryan might be even coming. Oh, what? Yeah. You better check us out tomorrow and off the bench. Daddy, I see you.